Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to be continuing in our sermon series in, uh, in Justice for All. And we're going to be talking about Leviticus. It's been going from, uh, we're talking about Jubilee. It's been going from Leviticus all the way up through uh, Revelation. And today we're talking about a super awesome part that's very relevant to Mother's Day. And that is the concept of, ready for this? Land Sabbaths. Super relative, right? Super relevant, right? Makes sense. Makes sense. I could try really hard to hook this into the concept of Mother's Day, and there will probably be some things that parents can take away from this, but I refuse to just shove it in, so we're not going to do that, okay? We're talking about Land Sabbath because it's one of the big things that ties in to Jubilee uh, theology. And so as we walk through Jubilee, you'll notice that the main thing that it talks about is this concept of weeks of time. Uh, weeks of years, if you will, and the fact that the jubilee cycle that we see in weekly life in the Jewish people and in yearly life in the Jewish people even goes on another cycle beyond that and hits about every 50 years again. And jubilee is a special Levitical Sabbath cycle. Who here understands the concept of Sabbath? Like perfectly, gets it. Right? Who here understands why it's important to us as followers of Christ or to people in general? I'm understanding it more now, more, since I had kids, honestly, than I ever understood before why rest can be an important thing. But here's some stuff that we're going to have fun with today. We're going to talk about the actual Levitical Jubilee cycle and the Sabbath cycle that goes with it. We're going to just briefly touch on the beginning Sabbath, and we're going to touch on Sabbath as Christ talked about it and how it points forward to where we're moving in the future, right? So let's start with this. In Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1, well, that is very, very bad. That is not what I had before. It all changed. Let's try this. 25, verses 1 through 12, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound a trumpet throughout all the land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That fifty years shall be a jubilee for you. You shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee, it shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. This is starting in verse 18. We skipped ahead a little bit. The lamb will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And you will say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that you will produce a crop sufficient for three. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. 
That is the Levitical Jubilee Sabbath Code. So, in Exodus, there's another one that talks about the concept of Sabbath years. But it doesn't talk anything about this weird Sabbath of Sabbaths. All right? In Jubilee and in Levitical law, there was this concept that the concept of Sabbath didn't just apply to the people of Israel. It was something that applied to the entire world. And this worldwide Sabbath that was occurring was something that was supposed to take over and actually be something that the Israelites did throughout their entire land. Now, we know that people understood the concept that if you're a farmer, I know most of the people in this room are probably not farmers. Most of us probably aren't. In the last church I was part of, most of the people I was talking to were in some way, shape, or form related to agriculture, so they would have got this a little easier. But did you know that in order for land to produce good food, you have to let the land periodically rest? You cannot just grow it consistently year in and year in and year in and then expect for the food to be nutritious, first of all, or eventually even grow whatsoever. You can actually exhaust the soil uh, of a land. It's kind of fun. The soil is super important. And so you have to rest it or else you cannot grow on it. Now, most agrarian cultures had concepts that were being written out that said you had to rest your land a certain time. If you're a farmer and you own a field, you should rest it every five years, every six years, every seven years, some every three years. I believe modern uh, farming actually recommends every three years allowing your land to rejuvenate and rest, and that's why they cycle through their fields. You had to let it rest periodically, but Israel did something weird in requiring that the entire land rest at the same time. This is a scary concept if you are a subsistence farming nation and if everybody is on the same cycle. Because if everyone chooses to rest their land at the same time, if everyone chooses not to harvest, not to gather, not to pull at the same time, by goodness, there is literally no backup. Right? Right now, if one farmer in a group of 30 farmers decides that this year is the time for them to rest, or if we do every three years, if 10 farmers decide this is their year to rest, and they don't have enough food for themselves, there's at least the chance that the other 20 farmers will have enough food to be able to provide for the ones who didn't have enough gathered beforehand, right? In this law, it says, no, everyone rest at the same time. Why would God call for everyone to Sabbath at the same time? further and fun concepts. We know that he calls people to Sabbath every seven years, but then there's this concept of a Sabbath of Sabbaths. Take seven weeks of seven years, and on that seventh week of seven years, have another one. There's some question as to whether there were supposed to be two years in a row where people didn't eat food that they had gathered, that they were gathering, that they didn't, weren't supposed to harvest for two weeks, two years in a row, or if it was just the way that people counted at that time. Because there's this weird concept of counting that used to occur within the Bible a lot, that was inclusive counting is what it's, what it's called. This is super weird. I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. I'm going to talk about it anyway because it's fun. Uh, who here is musical? Anyone musical? Musical people? Sweet. All right. Uh, so say if you started a C and you move up seven steps, what's your next note you're on? Seven whole steps up from C. Should be C again. You're going up. A full, yeah, you're going up a full, what's it called? Huh, so you move up seven steps and it's called a what? An octave. So moving up seven steps is an eighth. Exclusive counting is this concept. You count the first thing and the last thing total. You don't start from zero, you start from one, all right? Uh, It was a relatively common concept in cultures that didn't have zeros. 
So whenever it says you take the 50th year and you have it as a Sabbath, they might have been saying year 49 as we count it, okay? But they might not have been. I don't know. People may have been required to actually go two years without sowing or reaping, which is super, super weird because, one, that's hardship. Two years in a row, that's really hard, right? Why would God command Israel, an agrarian culture, to Sabbath like this? Why would he do it? Back to the beginning, Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God does something pretty cool. Uh, He makes some stuff, right? He makes literally everything. He creates the entire world. We know that God is all-powerful, and so it was not at all effortful for him to do this. He didn't have to expend effort to create the world. It wasn't hard for him. It wasn't difficult. He just said words, and it was done, right? If my whole job was to talk and make stuff... I feel like I wouldn't ever get tired because if you know me, I never stop talking, right? It doesn't require me to expend energy to talk. It requires God even less. He would talk and make stuff. And for six days, it says that he spoke and made things. And he created the entire world in these six days. And then God himself, on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. Do you ever just stop and think about how peculiar that is? That the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God of the universe, for some reason after creating, decided to take a break? I'm just going to rest now. Just one day out of the history of everything we know about the universe, God just takes a break. He rests. He didn't need to. Uh, If he hasn't rested since then, do you think he expended more energy then? If he didn't need to rest the first six days, do you think seven was just like, oh, I'm out of it, guys. I'm sorry, I need some break. No. Do you think he rested for his own good? Hmm. He rested. Whenever Israel was founded, whenever he created Israel, whenever they came into their own land especially, then God put some laws into place. And we've already spoken that these laws are not the epitome of righteousness. These laws put gates on sinful behavior, right? And these gates on sinful behavior can point to some good and godly things, especially. They give us glimpses into the true nature of godliness. And these rules had some massive difficulties or burdens that they put on the lives of the Israelites. We like to talk about how we say that, like, God's rules and regulations aren't burdensome, but come on, guys, sometimes they are. Don't walk any further than blank on a Sabbath day. Do no work one day a week. That's pretty burdensome. What happens if that's the day of the week that you need to do stuff? That's burdensome. Don't reap or sow for a year. That feels pretty burdensome, doesn't it? God put rules and regulations into place that point to greater things. Why would he put in Sabbath laws? When we look at the Ten Commandments, we see a group of commandments that are given by God. And the first three of them relate to God and his nature, and the rest, I think it's the first four actually, relate to God and his nature, and the rest relate to how man is supposed to actually interact with each other. And one of those rules that sort of bridges the gap between how man is supposed to relate to man and how man is supposed to relate to God is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Set it apart for God. 
It's right up there with don't commit adultery and have no idols. <laughs> Remember the Sabbath. Seems like a concept that God really wants the people of Israel to get. Why would he put it in place? Let's step back into the scripture we just read. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land I give you, you shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you will grow your field, so your field. For six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest in the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. So first and foremost, whenever we see Sabbath spoken of in the Old Testament, we have to remember this. It is a Sabbath to and for God. It's not necessarily about the people themselves at first. It does have some big effects on the people, obviously, but it's about God. Just like the entire law is. The entire law is about him in some way, shape, or form. And so we have to remember that the concept of Sabbath teaches us something about God and about ourselves. It's all about him, right? It's a Sabbath to the Lord. Then he says this. Where's that here? Let me find it real quick. gives them a promise in it too. He says the Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired workers and sojourners who live with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. Please note, whenever they said that the people of Israel could not reap from their land, they could not harvest from their land, they were not saying they couldn't eat anything that grew wildly. They just were not allowed to collect and save and store for a later day. So you could walk through a field and gather grain heads and eat them. Or you could, uh, your animals could do the same thing. Wild animals could do the same thing. People were not stopped from gaining daily sustenance, but they weren't allowed to store up a ton of food to keep themselves safe over a long period of time. This may harken back to something else that you remember reading at some point about the Israelites. A time whenever they were wandering through the desert and they were hungry and God would provide them miraculous food, right? Manna from heaven. He would provide what they needed on a daily basis. And he called for them to do two things. Those things are gather up enough food for the day, gather no more than you would need for a day. Any food that you try to save up or store, it's going to go bad, except for on the Sabbath. Then it'll last two days. Gather what you need the day before the Sabbath to last the Sabbath. Why would God, whenever he was placing his people on a long, arduous journey from slavery to a land that would be their own, why would he only give them day by day what they would need for that day? What do you think he was trying to teach them? Blade, shoot it out. He needed to have faith that he would provide. They needed to trust him and rely on him. A lot of the Old Testament, as we move through Sabbath law, is trying to teach us one concept, and that is to trust God and to rely on him for what we need, not to trust in ourselves or our ability to provide perfectly for ourselves, not to trust in other people before our God, but to recognize that he is our provider, he is our protector, and he is the one who can sustain us. This is the basis of Sabbath. Check this out. He even gives promises. 
Where is it at here? Nope, not there, not there. There. He says, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. You will be secure. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we cannot sow or gather our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. I will give you enough food for three years. If you're worried about what's going to happen in year seven, I'll give you enough to last you this year, the next year as you're regrowing, and while you're harvesting into the year after that. He provides a command that he will bless the people if they will listen to this law. Fun story again, how often do we hear about in the history of Israel or in the history of God's people that they actually chose to trust God in this way? Hmm. Never. Really. We never see an actual jubilee cycle occur in the way that it's discussed here. Not one that wasn't forced on them by God. And yes, Jake gets to talk about that next week. Eventually, whenever the people chose not to jubilee for long enough, God said, fine, I will make you jubilee. Your land will rest. I'm going to remove you from it. He's forcing the people of Israel to recognize that they can rely on him. And he's showing them that he is trustworthy and will care for them if they will simply listen to him. He's saying, trust me. Here are some basic things that we can pull from this concept of Sabbath. And one is this. We are called to rest in our creator. And rest assumes a couple of different things. Rest assumes that we feel secure enough to rest because who here, if you are scared to death, easily falls asleep? Goodness, up until I was about 26 years old, sometimes I wouldn't close the door to my bedroom in my apartment because I wanted to see a shadow if someone tried to open my door. Rest is more difficult when you feel secure. Right? There are some people who somehow learn how to rest even whenever they don't feel secure whatsoever. I don't know how. A lot of times these are soldiers. If you ever met a soldier who has spent a lot of time fighting, for some reason, they can literally just sleep anywhere. It's because they realize, man, rest is pretty important even when you don't feel secure. Uh, I think one of them actually considered rest more important than food, one of my friends. He's like, I'll eat at some point. I can eat anytime. I'm going to sleep right now. I have the chance to sleep. We are called to rest. God rested even though he didn't need to. Jesus answered why God instituted something like the Sabbath whenever he didn't need to. And that is this phrase from Mark 2.27. The Sabbath was made for who? Man. Not man for the Sabbath. You are not created to be a slave to Sabbath. Sabbath was created to serve you. God rested for you. So, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What does this mean? God didn't have to rest because he needed to, because he would be tired. God instead rested because we are to be like God and he knows we would need to rest. And whenever we choose to rest, we actually are demonstrating a way in which we are showing ourselves to identify with our God. Jesus got baptized, right? Did Jesus need to because he was super sinful or whatnot? No. 
Did Jesus have to go through the ritual cleansing the baptism was at the time? No. Why did Jesus say he did it? Fulfill all righteousness. Why do we baptize now? Because if Jesus didn't need to and he still got baptized, we probably should, right? If God rested and he didn't need to, what should we probably do? Rest. Fun story. Uh, there's, a, there's a section of the Old Testament that I love, and there's a section of the Old Testament that I kind of dislike, and I never realized these two are connected together. Here goes a part, guys, where this actually ties back into Mother's Day. You ready for this one? So there are these two sections uh, in, I believe it's Proverbs. One of them says, the Lord gives rest to those he loves. Have you guys seen that verse? The Lord grants rest to those he loves. The next verse he gives is, children are a blessing from the Lord. Pray that your quiver will be full of them. The Lord grants rest to those he loves. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Who here is a parent? Who here has seen kids or had them overnight or things of that nature? Who here believes that rest and lots of children seem to go super well together? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Children are one of the ways that God taught me rest is super important because I never realized how sporadic I was in getting it until it became quite apparent that I actually need it. And oh, did it become apparent. I am honestly going to tell you, I do not remember the first six months or so of Anna's life, just whatsoever. I have no recollection of it because I was so tired the entire time that literally I remember the first day we came home from the hospital, and then I remember whenever Anna was starting to walk, and that's about it. I think this is kind of a survival mechanism that Jesus put into people. Because if he didn't make tiredness wipe your short-term memory, then there's no way would ever have a second kid. Throwing that out there. <laughs> like, like, if I remembered those first six months, whoo. Man. Kids can be rough. But they help us see again, man, rest is super important. Kids again, huh? Let's just say I know this one child. I'm not going to use any names, but I know this one child pretty well. And by goodness, whenever they choose not to rest, that's whenever they become, I'm pretty sure the best word I have to describe it is a holy terror. So it's like an hour and a half past your bedtime, and you didn't nap it at all today, and you've just been running the entire day, and let me guess how easy bedtime's going to go right now. And I think, okay, yeah, kids, silly children, But do you guys realize that I do the exact same thing? If I go long enough without resting in Christ, without spending time with him, without Sabbathing, without taking time off, oh, I do the exact same thing in different ways. I just tantrum in what I consider more mature ways. My wife does not consider more mature ways, probably. Rest is important. But rest, interestingly enough, relies on a couple of other things. If you're going to rest, there's a couple other things you need, and that's this. You need to realize that we are called to trust. That secure concept, that concept of security that I was talking about before, or things that keep us from resting, what makes us feel secure in our current lives? Why do I feel secure in the way our community is going, our church is going, our nation is going, our world is going, even though at times it seems like it's all sort of turning upside down? 
is because I don't have to trust myself or other people to do things right. I can trust in the one who controls everything. And I can know that he will work it all out for good. We are called to trust. God's commands can seem burdensome to us. They can seem difficult, and they may not seem to make sense at times. But if he commands something, we can trust that he's doing it for a reason. He commands a burdensome thing like Sabbathing for an entire year, resting the land of an agrarian culture. But we can trust he's doing it for good purpose. Because if the people would understand and follow the concept that God himself is trustworthy and God himself is the one that is provided for, they would be far better off than if they were the most industrious, hard-working group of people that worked every day of the year. Because he can do far more without thought than they could do with all of their industrialness combined. He is greater than we are. He can do more than we can. Right? This does not mean that we can trust the concept that everything will always be super fun. That's a different thing altogether. Or that we will never see pain or death or hardship or hurt. That's not what I'm talking about. But instead, what we can trust is that God is consistently, constantly working to bring about his glory and that his will will be done. We can trust him to do that. And we can trust that the things that he commands us to do are good and right. Even if we don't understand them perfectly. We can trust him. He called for the people to do something difficult, to Sabbath, to rest. And he said, trust me. Trust me. Why could he say trust me? Because he knows that if the people would do this, they would be better off. Here's the final thing we're called to as his people. We are called to rely on him. Not on ourselves, but on him. We should fully depend on him. And we can trust this. If that is what is good, if it is good for you to depend on God and not yourself, and if you can trust him to do what's good for you, sometimes he will make it so that you are required to depend on him and nothing else. Do you understand what this means? You can trust your good God to allow you to go through hardship because that will help you rely on him. He will allow you to go through times of scarcity. He will allow you to go through times of pain, times of heartbreak. He will allow you to go through the heck that this world can be sometimes. Because it is true that relying on him is far better than anything else in the world. Does that make sense? We're called to rely on him called to trust him. And if we rely on him and trust him, we'll be able to rest. We'll find peace in it. One of the biggest concepts that underrides all of scripture is this concept of shalom or peace. A peace everlasting or unending. Uh, a peace that comes from knowing who God is and what he has done. And knowing what he is taking care of. And this peace transcends understanding. It is greater than we could ever imagine or understand. We can't get why this peace happens. It comes fully from knowing that God is in control and not us. Right? And whenever we are at peace, we can rest in him. 
I don't need to push seven days in a row to try and provide for myself or my family because I know that he will provide completely. What does this look like in day-to-day life? Want to step back into parenting or friendshipting? Ready for this one? Sometimes we can mistakenly assume that we are called to be the sole and full provider for our family and that we are called to be the one that our family can rely on above all. And so we will think that as, I'm going to talk especially to dads now, but this transcends dads, it transcends people. A lot of people do this. Sometimes we think that our main responsibility is to provide enough stuff for our family. We have to provide enough money, enough food, enough shelter, enough clothing for our family to have either what we didn't get as kids or what we think is most important, right? And we'd be willing to do things like give up time with our family to give them the stuff they want. But fun story, if we look through people and the type of satisfaction they feel, oftentimes the groups of people that choose to work the most, to provide the most stuff, are the ones that end up being the least satisfied with their lives. People are often happy with less stuff if they have full and loving relationships with those around them. Does that make sense? I would rather have a good friendship with someone who maybe only works a regular full-time job who is willing to spend time on our friendship or on their family than I am the person who works 103 hours a week. How many hours does a week have? I don't know. Somewhere around there, right? 120, I think, if I can do math correctly. No? Thanks, Blake. Thanks, thanks, Creed. 168? Creed's like, that's not how math works, Chris. <laughs> I wasn't counting Sabbath days. No? Whatever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I would rather have a person who is willing to give a small amount of time than someone who can give me all the stuff in the world, but I never get to see them. Never get to talk to them. Dads, hear this. Your kids need you more than they need your stuff. Your kids need you more than they need your money. If you can work a job that provides enough to sustain them while giving you the ability to be home and present for them, that's probably better than you making the most money in the world and never getting to see them. Make sense? Sweet. That's one that we need to hear sometimes. other takeaways. If you are having trouble resting, there's probably something that you are worshiping more than God. And that might be yourself. It might be your stuff. It might be your habits or hobbies. It might be work itself. But there's something that you are putting before your creator. If you never take any days or any time to rest in him, it might be because you're valuing something else over and above him. Or, conversely, you might be relying on something over and else over and above him. You might be relying on your own work ethic more. You might be relying on your own ability to produce more. And you rely on him. This is not an easy teaching because it calls for trust. And it's not an easy teaching because there are so many random things. 
Like, what, what if I've got a kid and I have to work three jobs in order to feed him? There may be a time in your life where you have to do that, but that should not be the norm for your life. Does that make sense? You may need to do things that are rough at the time, but recognize the fact that they are not the best. They're not God's will. And that you have to try and get to the point where you can follow as well. Can you rely on him? This is his call for you. Pushing into the future. Sabbath points to the future. Whenever Christ recreates the world and we are going to exist in a perfected state. We will have the right to work, but work will not be what gives us our sustenance. God himself will sustain. We will have the right to labor, but we will not have to do so to exist or to function. He'll sustain us. The world, whenever it is right, will exist in a perpetual state of peace and rest for us. This is our final hope. And we're called to demonstrate it now. Does that make sense? You want the really, really last one? The really last piece here? The final last piece? All right, last, last piece of my seven last pieces. This is my Sabbath of lasts. All right. Do you want to know one of the best tools for evangelism that I've ever seen? A heart at rest while the world is turbulent around you. Whenever people can see the world around you falling apart, but see you resting in assurance in your creator, they are far more likely to want to know who you serve. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just lost your job, and you have no income coming in, but you are at peace and trusting that you'll be provided for, even though you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is this? I know who I serve. That is an amazing evangelism tool. (laughs) You choosing not to rely on God may be one of the things that's keeping people from relying on your God. Do you wish that your friends and families and relatives trusted the Lord that you have trusted your life to? Yeah? Then perhaps you should trust your life to him. (laughs) In every aspect. Does that make sense? If I want my kids to grow up learning who Jesus is, they need to see that I trust him. Because if I don't trust him, why should they? Make sense? Make sense. Thank you for listening to me ramble about Sabbaths and land on a day like today. As we go today, please step into your rest. Spend time with your family. If you have family here, spend time with your friends. Spend time with each other. And spend time with your Lord. And just rest in him. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your rest. We praise you for the fact that you have called for us to trust you and to rely on you and to rest in you. Lord God, as we do so, may we continually recognize just how good and glorious you are.
Father, I pray that as people are stepping into this, that you would show yourself to be faithful, that you would give them uh, enough to be able to sustain their lives as they're moving forward. Lord, allow them to recognize the fact that you can indeed provide what they need and that you'll provide exactly what we need and nothing more. Lord, give us today our daily bread that we may glorify you amongst the world. And may we rest in you because you say that those you love, you give your rest. Today we pray, Lord. Amen.